0: welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seafoot and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. This is the podcast where we talk about mental health as well as celebrity careers. You can go back to past episodes, Secure the Insecure podcast on Instagram is where you get a little teaser to air everything that has ever happened on the past two years but let me talk to you about my guest this week my guest you will know as your female host on the Capital FM breakfast show around the United Kingdom alongside Roman Kemp and Sunny J where every morning she makes me die at her wake up puns on her Instagram channel prior to this she was the evening presenter on her FM and before that she was the weather presenter on Channel 5. Sopping between audiences, she is fast becoming one of our standout stars in radio who very soon I predict will be making that big leap into TV primetime. She understands social media, she understands how to go viral, and she understands how to talk to you. Joining me this week, I'm delighted to say is Sean Welby. Hello, Sean.
2: Oh, thank you, Johnny. That was a lovely intro. Hello.
0: I want to take you back, and this is kind of where your media journey began. You're spotted by the Channel 5 owner, Richard Desmond, what happened?
2: Yeah, it was 2010 and I was working in a clothes shop and I was also trying to be a presenter and I'd been, I had been—I thought I would do the clothes shop thing for like a year and every time my boss at New Look used to say, hey, I thought you were going to drama school or Where, aren't you supposed to be famous? And, you know, it'd be a running joke that I was still there. But in the background, little did they know, was I was doing all sorts and I was coming down to London, I was doing little auditions and little online shows and bits and bobs here and there, just kind of getting closer and closer to the business that I wanted to be in. But I just wasn't doing it full time. And so I literally had to take the day off work to get down to London to do this advert. And I was in so much trouble. And I remember remember thinking I'd got in so much trouble taking a Saturday off because it's the busiest day in retail. And I thought, I was sat in this office down in East London waiting for my turn to do this advert. And I was just sitting there thinking, oh, any minute now my boss at New Look's going to ring me and say, where are you? Saturday's the busiest day of the week in retail. How have you... Like I'd done something you shouldn't do whereas I got two different people to cover me on two separate four-hour shifts. And it was just like... I just knew I had to be down there, And I suppose, you know... Something, sometimes your gut instinct kicks in. But I'd waited all day. So I'd been there from say like 8 a.m. and it was now five o'clock in the evening. And I thought, do you know what? I've got in all this trouble and they're not even going to use me on this advert. And I was just gutted. And then at five o'clock, they finally went, Sean, you're in. Come on, let's do it. And it was just a quick advert for New Magazine where literally the advert goes, what's in New Magazine this week? And then it cuts to all random people going, celebrities, diet, Peter Andre, whatever. And off the back of that, because I had such a laugh with it, probably because it was the end of the day, and I thought, I've got nothing to lose here. So I just started being funny and messing about and trying to make the crew laugh because it had been a long day. And they ended up giving me everyone's lines from the whole day. And they were like, oh, Sean, you're having fun with this. Do some more, do some more. And because of that, I later found out that it meant I was used in every single ad. And those ads play on a loop in... The boss's office. So at the time, you know, the boss of Channel 5 was Richard Desmond. He also owned OK Magazine and New Magazine, hence why these ads were constantly playing in his offices. And two weeks after doing that ad, I get a call out of the blue to meet um, the editor of Channel 5, Chris Shaw. And I go to his office. And I'm thinking, I've no idea what's coming here. And he just quizzes me. He's like, What have you been doing for the last, you know, five years? And luckily, I had some stories because I'd been trying to get on every TV channel there was. And I, was, I had loads of different presenting stories to tell him and all these different shows that I'd edited myself or whatever. And he just said to me, he was like, oh, people keep taking chances on you, don't they, Sean? I think maybe we should. And then that's all he said. It was so cryptic. And I went home and I thought, I know how these things go. I'll never hear from him again. And probably about maybe two to three weeks after that meeting, I get a call saying, "Sean, they want you to be their new weather girl. And I was like, what? Bearing in mind, I knew nothing about weather. I was shocking at geography. Like, I'm still to this day terrible. Like, I don't know where fit places are. And I was starting in, like, four weeks' time. And not only that, I was like, well how many days a week they were like it's full time and you need to move to london so i went from like being in the east midland in a tiny little village to to go in oh my god i've got four weeks to go and live and work in london and be channel five's only weather girl like there it it was such a crazy moment and that is where it all began god
0: that is a journey and a half isn't it and that 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 side of you that cheeky fun side having fun with things you brought to the weather because you started not just doing the traditional weather presenter that we would know for example laura tobin on good morning britain doing you made it your own you made it fun you went look here's 60 seconds i'm not just going to tell you the weather i'm going to make puns out of it so for example you did the spider-man and the batman and the star wars puns and just made it your own and it's sometimes very hard to think about how 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes how creative you can be in that time.
2: Yeah, my passion was always just to have fun and, and never take myself too seriously. And I also, at the time, was thinking, I never used to watch the weather because I used to just think, well, it's either, what well, I don't need to know isobars and uh, weather fronts and all this kind of stuff. I just need to know, do I need a coat and an umbrella? So I started trying to make them as chatty as possible. And then the puns just came from trying to make the gallery laugh the editor of Channel Five News, they would all be in there, and somebody would dare me like, oh, Sean, get the word ninja in today's forecast. Or I'd challenge, I'd challenge myself to get Beyonce songs in there or Nick Cage films. And then it's one of those things, isn't it, where they used to go and notice, and if you knew, you knew, but the bosses never knew. And then they just it just escalated because I always take things too far. And then it was, you know, uh, 23 Star Wars puns in a 40-second forecast, and that was just a fluke. It's You know, they say right place, right time. It was just a right moment. The new movie had come out after, I don't want to get the stats wrong, but it was something like 20-odd years since the last Star Wars movie, and they, it was when they just started to bring out the new ones again. So it was mental. People were going mad for Star Wars. So I went, oh, come on, please, can I do some stuff? Can I, you know, try and really go mad with it? and make it so obvious because it will be barely any weather in there. And for some reason, I think the boss was feeling brave because I did actually ask permission this time because I knew I wouldn't get away with it. And they said, you know what, Sean, do two versions. And bear in mind, we have to re- even though they pre-recorded, we used to pre-record it five minutes before the news. So there's no time to do multiple takes. So it was like, right. They said, do a straight one and then do, you- do your Star Wars one and we'll see what we use. And they just happened to dare use the Star Wars one, and it ended all over Twitter. And I wake up the next morning, and I'm, I'm like, getting calls from Australia and New York and K-Rock Radio and Kiss in Australia, and it was just madness. And I think, genuinely, that's where my career path started going in the right direction because i was getting away from serious news and weather and i was doing a bit of sport at the time as well which wasn't really me and this was like oh this girl's like fun She, she's a laugh let's give her more and that's kind of i think that is genuinely where things started to make a turn for the better
0: and it meant that you understood going viral we are so in this culture now of clickbait journalism and clickbait news where Everything is almost staged where let's get everything viral because that's basically our free marketing, our free promotion for whatever channel we're working for. But you made it organic. And although it was kind of planned what you were doing, you made it fun. You didn't do it to be a negative clickbait just to go viral.
2: No, and I think, you know what, it also it was a very last minute idea. And I think sometimes they are the best. And like you say, people these days, You want it to be fun. You don't want it to seem too contrived and too rehearsed. I think there was an element of people just enjoying that it was like a silly dare type thing. And it was almost uh, a prank on, you know, the way that some, some of the papers sort of said it was like, you know, it was almost like I was pranking my own bosses. And actually, that is how it started. It all came from just wanting to enjoy the job and have a laugh. And I think that is where things go viral when, it, when it's not been overproduced, it hasn't had a load of editing to it. It's a, I always think that the best viral clips are the, are the rawest, most natural ones. They're my favourite. The second the soundtrack kicks in, I'm off. I, I, it, it turns me off straight away.
0: Well, that's the thing. You made everyone feel good, and then that led to you turning up the feel-good, and you joined Heart. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah,
2: very good. I see what you did there. I always wanted to get into radio, and I had actually done a demo for Heart two years before i even i did a demo uh two years before i got this job the job and uh they were i remember them saying like you sound a bit too young for heart at the moment because at the time that wasn't really their vibe they were like there's nothing on capital we can't put you there we don't quite know what to do with you sean but we'll keep this on file so i kind of forgot about it but there was always part of me that wanted to get into radio and then what i was gonna say is what i think helped me learn to become a bit more like that style was was social media and i started doing snapchat and i started um doing loads of online live stuff where i would just have to talk for half an hour when periscope came out which was like an early insta live if anyone remembers it you know i would do periscopes and i was one of the first few british girls to really jump on that and then that got the attention of twitter and at the time, Twitter just bought Vine. And then I got to, you know, they, they sort of was like, oh, you're doing a lot on, on Periscope. We don't really have a lot of female presenters doing this. Can we get you to do some Vines? And I got in with, like, the sort of Vine crowd. And I think those type of things really got me in a really good habit of being able to sort of uh, just talk and, and ad lib and whatever. And then I think the the puns and just the fact that I was having a laugh I remember, actually, at the time, Capital Breakfast, they would call me up and they'd say, right, we've got weather girl, Sean on. She's going to do a challenge. Uh, She's going to do a Harry Potter forecast. And so, weirdly, I was now in the mindset of that radio world because they were using me on some little features, and those videos were doing really well on Twitter. People were still liking it at that point. It was still, like, a really fun novelty thing. And I think the bosses, it must have got, I don't know the ins and outs, but I presume it put me on their radar, I think, because those videos went quite viral for capital. And then next thing you know, like everything in life, it's so random, I'm getting a call to say, Sean, do you remember that demo you did two years ago? Well, the bosses just heard it and he wants you in. And it was the same sort of thing that happened when I got the weather. Next thing you know, I'm being called into an office and given an evening show on a network station, it was mad.
0: So you join Heart. That 7 o'clock show on Heart, God, you made that a thing. That wasn't really, before <laughs> you had done that, a big show. And yet, suddenly, you started doing it. You made it younger. All these celebs like Ed Sheeran and Liam Payne came in. You started doing games. You kind of ripped up the conventions of, it's 7 o'clock radio. We've just got to do back-to-back music. And you actually had 7 minutes talking, 10 minutes talking. And you just made such a difference there with the way that it sounded.
2: Oh, mate, that that honestly means the world to me because it's so nice of you to say that because I was in at the deep end and, and I didn't really, I had to learn the craft on the job and credit to the people, at, the the producers at heart that really trained me. I mean, we, we laugh as a, as a producer called Martin Bruce and we call it Brucey's Boot Camp and he literally was like, do it again, do it again, you can do it faster, you, you one thought per link like get it and he, he sort of drummed into me it was like learning to drive like because my hand this a driver desk and it really is driving a desk because in telly someone's counting for you there might even be an auto cue they, you know there's a sound man there's a uh, there's production team doing all the other bits but when you're in radio you're kind of playing all those roles so i was there like fading up music fading up my mic playing a bed of music, that, oh, actually on Heart as well, because they kept it tight. The, the bed was what they called a ramp, so actually it had a length of time before a, this is Heart kicked in. So I had to learn to tell a story in exactly whatever one I chose. So if I chose a 37-second ramp, that's all the time I had. Once it had gone, because it was just the way the system worked, I couldn't pause it, I couldn't stop it. So you had to nail it, and don't get me wrong, I didn't nail it every time. And I'd be getting to the end of a story and having to speed up because I knew that it was coming to the end of the link and then it would go this, this ah, oh, and I'd never get the punchline out. And I, I had to learn to to tell a story quicker and to to get to your punchline better and to take out too much faff and all those kind of things. But they did let me, and they sort of they did sort of leave me to my own devices and go. What else do you want to do? And basically all the big guests used to go to breakfast. But if it starts, you know, it's a bit like anything. It starts when breakfast couldn't do one of the big interviews. And I was like, well, I'll do it. And then next thing you know, my, the 7 till 10 slot is getting guests. Because I was like, well, I'll do something. And then I would try and make it fun and silly like all my other stuff. And it seemed to go down well. So I, I, I do think that that show evolved. And I'm really grateful that they sort of allowed me to really experiment with it and, and then start putting in my own games and making it really about people texting in. And I had so much fun on it.
0: Well, you did it at the right time because Roman Kemp, who obviously you're with now on Breakfast, he was also doing a similar thing on his 7 o'clock show on Capital. Yes. And I remember like you know he gave Ed Sheeran a tattoo and Ed Sheeran tattooed him. And suddenly you had these two global radio stations. So that's the owners who own Capital and Heart doing something completely different to all the other radio landscape which is just following the normal conventions especially in music radio where as you said it was even more music heavy and playlist heavy than in the daytime
2: yeah it's so funny to think that because me and roman were almost we were rivals i suppose as far as um Radio would see it. We were on at the same time. We were both getting the big guests. We were both fighting for who got the most views, the the most retweets, who was getting better radar results, which is, you know, your ratings, how many people are listening. And yeah, I was trying to give capital a run for their money. And it was exciting to do that. I put a lot of pressure on myself anyway. And I really, I never wanted an off day. I always used to think someone could tune into my show for the first time tonight. And if I'm having an off day, they are going to switch off and so the pressure that i would put on myself to do an exceptional show every single night and cram it full of good stuff meant that i was coming in five hours six hours before my show and i was i was so stressed thinking what am i going to talk about for three hours or it would almost be worse if i'd had a really good show the night before because i'd wake up and think i've got to top that tonight how do I do a show as good as last night? And it, when I say as good, it's not me sort of saying, oh, well, I'm good. I, I just mean that I, I really wanted it to be the best I could do. And so I, I wanted people to feel entertained. And they, if they listened last night, they got something totally different the next day. And it was pressure. It, I really felt the pressure because at the same time, I was trying to also technically learn what I was doing and trying to like, you know, time yourself, trying to be natural, trying to be funny, trying to be topical. There's a lot of pressure to make it time sensitive, you know, not to repeat content that's been done in the breakfast show in the daytime. So I've come in what felt like the end of the day when all the stories have been done. And so the big pressure for me was, how do I do it different? Because I can't just repeat what everyone's heard all day. Um, you know, one of the beauties of a breakfast show is, it, and it's exciting, you get to break the news almost. It's the first first bit of the day when you get in all the new stories. Um, so by the end of the day, stuff that I thought was new news, someone might say to me, oh, Sean, I've heard this 10 times today. And I'll go, oh, no, I was going to do that tonight. So if I did it, I had to find a Sean angle. And that became the challenge. And on top of that, obviously, sell the music uh, it's a commercial, radio show, do adverts. It's it's all you know, they call them live region. You, you hear them in podcasts now. But the, the, the skill to try and weave all those things in without anyone feeling like it's um it's affected the show. Like even if it was an advert, I had to make it somehow feel entertaining or feel like something that I would say. And yeah, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself.
0: How did you deal with that pressure, though? Because you're right, and I think even uh, to, uh, you speak about, you know, the breakfast show and how you're waking up to the news and it's exciting and it's fresh and it's new and at the end of the day. But also, when something happens at nighttime, so for example, uh, a final of a TV programme like Bake Off or Love Island, that is one of those big talking points for that evening. Nine o'clock, the show goes out or it finishes. Ten o'clock, you're kind of still talking about it with your friends gets to the following morning it's likely we all get the winner on the show and you're almost already going okay well i'm kind of done with the show because i know i'm not watching it tonight then it gets to your show at seven o'clock at night 24 hours more or less later on and you're a bit like that was so old news that was so yesterday
2: yeah exactly right and so so and also there was a lot of pressure to not divert someone to the tv not like I did 7 till 10, and that 9 o'clock hour was always the hardest because to me that was always – 9 o'clock is always a big TV time. There's always – if something decent's on, it's normally on at 9 o'clock. I was on at 9. And my job was almost to make people not switch me off to turn on the telly. So sometimes it was almost like I had to ignore – the big news until it was over as well which was really difficult it's a really tricky one to try and find something new quite often I just relied on it was stuff like Lad bible and at the time buzzfeed and I was going through Instagram and you know when it was vine there was vines or there was I was going deep into the search to find stuff that people haven't seen that I could still make relevant there was a lot of pressure on me to um, also never do showbiz for showbiz sake. And this was another big pressure with heart to always make it relatable because no one really wants to hear about a celeb's mansion. But if we can, if I could find a funny angle to bring it back to, I don't know, Mary in Manchester, and then I could open up a topic that was always like, always my mission was to make the listener more important than any celeb. And to the point where I ended up making a little feature called Beat the Internet, where I would find a viral story and literally say, I bet you've got a better one. And I would open it up to see if you could beat the internet and you had a better story than the one that went viral. And that was always kind of my angle. Like, the people listening, you're the heroes. Everyday people is all we care about. And the celebs are just a way of me getting into a topic.
0: The more you use your audience, the more you become known away from... People listening to Heart just for the music, they're now listening for you. How did you deal with that side that you're starting to create a kind of fandom around you as a person, as Sean Welby, you're starting to get papped in Leicester Square where your studios are, and you're now being seen as a celebrity as well as a radio presenter?
2: I think for me, like that's almost a side effect of it. And it's really it's a double edged sword because the thing that I think we all value the most And maybe we don't always realize that this is the thing we value the most. It is freedom. It's freedom to do whatever you want and and walk about and be a happy person. And so it's hard because... The fact that, you that you know, maybe my name was becoming a bit bigger or people might have recognized me a bit more or starting to learn about me and, and get to know me, it's a real compliment that, that then suddenly, you know, there is a photographer taking my picture or a magazine does want to do an interview. And that's like almost a sign, that okay, what I'm doing is working and it's it's connecting and people are wanting to hear more about me. But I also have a, I do have a big fear of that as well because... I live a normal life, and I love that I have a mad job, but the only reason I've got into that job is because I love the entertainment side. Like, in the same way that genuinely, I still get as much joy sometimes as being the one filming something happen or writing something to someone else. And so I never, ever just wanted to be famous. And in fact, it's one of my big fears, is that as a product of doing better at your job in this industry, you do naturally get more famous and there is i do have a big fear of that because i think as much as people in general are so lovely and positive and friendly and you know people just want to chat with you and have a laugh there is a big negative side which obviously we've seen happen to all sorts of people and yeah i think deep down it does scare me because i am just a normal girl from the east midlands that just wanted to do entertainment and just make people laugh Um, And I've honestly never really prepped myself for being really in the public eye. And I think definitely since this move to capital, I've noticed a slight shift in that and going, oh, I am getting people do know who I am now. And it's quite because when you're in a radio station, as you'll know, you sat in that studio, there might be a producer, but you are just talking to a microphone. You forget anyone's listening, don't you?
0: hundred percent and the bigger you are, the more you've gotta put into your brand and therefore your social media is imperative because we are all judged now by our social media numbers. How often have you gone viral? How many followers have you got? Because the more followers you've got, the more viral you've got, the more that actually you should stay doing the job you do. Otherwise we'll just get someone in from effectively YouTube, you know. Um yeah. and when you are doing that and you're right and you're getting more famous, you've had your colleague Sunny J do dancing on ice, you've had Roman be in the jungle I presume there must be a bit of pressure on you now that the focus is now on why have you not done a reality show yet? When are you doing a reality show yet? But as you said, you are just a normal girl who goes to work and then comes home and goes back to their normal life filming cats on roofs far away, feeding them ham and everything else that you like to put on Instagram. I've seen everything, Sean.
2: <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, feeding the foxes. Oh, dear. I'll be in so much trouble for doing that. But, yeah, it's so true. I, I Honestly, my, I am just the most normal person when it comes to my actual normal life. You know, I just like walking around TK Maxx or going to Costco and ordering a pizza and watching Netflix. And, yeah, I think um, I've always been very careful about a year into doing the weather. So it would been like 2011, I was in a meeting to do Celebrity Big Brother and I did not want to do it, right? Because, again, this goes back to me and why i even do this job and it was not about suddenly becoming really famous for the sake of it and i told my agent at the time it wasn't really for me and they said sean just go down and have a chat and so i went i did go down to l street and met this lovely woman and she she literally had almost like a clipboard of questions and she it was a bit like in a doctor's surgery she was asking me stuff and almost ticking things off right And it was questions like, what would you do if an argument broke out? Or how annoyed do you get if someone says this? How would you cope if someone slags you off? And it was all these types of questions, right? Now, let me tell you, if I'd have wanted to get on Big Brother, I would have answered them, oh, I'll kick off. People think um, you know, people think I'm quite shy, but actually I'd kick off if someone had a go at me. And if there's an argument, yeah, I'd get stuck right in. And I, if I'd have gone down that route, I probably would have got in. But instead, I was just honest and I was saying, oh, I hate confrontation. Uh, I was like, I'd be the peacemaker in an argument. I'm the person that makes a cup of tea and would want to cheer people up. And I remember at the end, <laughs> she just looked at me. She looked up from the clipboard. She went, Sean this show is not for you. You're too nice. She's like, I can't, there's no way I'm putting you in there. And I remember just feeling relieved. And I don't know what my agent at the time thought, I'm sure they would have rather me got in there for the paycheck or whatever, but it's genuinely been something that I would be very careful about which show I chose and I would never do one for the sake of it. And I think nowadays there's a lot more duty of care and they look after you a bit better. And so You know, the show's like... I've always liked the thought of I'm a Celeb, despite it being, um, you know, you have to do a load of hard stuff. Because in general, the undertones tend to be positive. It tends to be more about teamwork and getting to know people. And that side of that show has always appealed because I thought, actually, it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And in general, they're not baiting you to be aggressive or to be... um, to start confrontation because that would honestly be my worst nightmare.
0: See, the thing is with with your career, is well the way I look at it is that if you did the jungle, the jungle is more for can you become part of the ITV family? And have yes, you had yeah. a career that needs resurfacing? See so Vernon Kay did it last year, he's been given cover shows on Radio Two, he's got a new game show starting out on ITV. That's his career making a comeback. Whereas for you, well i want to see you person this is just me personally speaking is that i feel like you're suited to stand up to cancer's uh great british bake-off celebrity specials i think you're more oh, suited to yeah, those type of shows where it's more about your personality and just your brand becoming a bit more of a household name but not to detriment you and not to also thrust you in to give you something that is going to end up being really short term. You know, we look at people who do go into the jungle, like Scarlett Moffat, like Vicky Patterson, and ITV own them for a while, and they do Loose Swimming, or they do um, This Morning with a segment, and then they kind of just disappear. Whereas I want you to have that longevity, because you've got such an amazing personality that I feel like you'd be wasted going into the jungle. Whereas if you did these little shows here and there, I feel like it will just let people go, oh, there's Sean Welby. Yes, she does Capital FM Breakfast. Yes, she talks to a much younger audience, but as we know, you can also talk to a much older audience.
2: Oh, bless you! I mean, yeah, you—you you know what? You are spot on. And uh, funnily enough, that stand up to the Bake Offs on at the moment, isn't it? And I remember thinking, oh, I would have loved to actually do that. Not that I'm any good at baking, but just for the fun. And like you say, again, it's a very warm program. It's—it's it's, um, just a way. It's a way of exactly how you described it gradually letting people get to know you so you are a familiar face but almost not overexposing you because some of those shows that is what happens you do a big reality show and then you're on every show under the sun suddenly and you almost instantly people get sick of you so i'm not in it for that and being on capital is honestly it's the perfect balance for me because you know, most of the time you are actually off camera and you're just having a laugh and and being creative. And I think, yeah, I think my way, I would love to get back into telly, but the right way. And I think that it is a hard one sometimes to get that right.
0: Well, I think if you stay at Capital for a little bit longer, it may happen. Obviously, Capital used to have a TV channel, which I think they closed down. But the way radio is going at the moment is visualising everything. And kind of in this we're in this new wave where all radio presenters are becoming tv presenters every radio studio has been uplifted to look like a tv studio now so stick at capital and I think you'll be there but let's go and talk about capital because this was a big jump most presenters do capital and then they go to heart but I I'm trying to think and I'm sure you're one of the first presenters ever to go from heart to capital and you didn't just go to capital and carry on doing what you do you went to the breakfast show when Vic Cope announced that she was leaving as she went off to Radio 1.
2: Yeah, and you're so right. I honestly didn't think it was possible. I really, really wanted to work on Capital. I really wanted to work on Capital, and I was over the moon when I got my job at heart, but I was still friends with all the guys on Capital and you know, good friends with Jimmy Hill, Lauren Layfield, Amy Vivian, Will Manning, and I knew Roman, and I knew Vic, and... I remember I'd come downstairs for interviews, like you say, when we'd all share studios and stuff, and I used to think, oh, it's so fun down here, and everyone's a bit more my age, and I really thought, oh, I'd love to have worked at Capital, but I don't I don't think you can really go back. Once you're on Heart, how do you go back? So um, it was a funny one for me, and it was an unexpected situation to be in where I didn't... I honestly didn't think... I don't know, I just didn't see it coming at all. And so suddenly... I'm getting asked to demo again. It's like, you know, I didn't just get the job. I still have to go in and demo. But I'll never forget, like, the day I went in and did the demo with the boys, I walked out and just knew, as in, I knew that I would love to work with them. I thought, this just worked. And we just hit it off. We clicked. We all have the same sense of humor. It's an unusual one, and I don't I don't know if it's been done before to go Heart to Capital, because obviously Heart is an older audience, and Capital is def- aiming at sort of the teens and the 20s. I just think I was right for the job. And I think rather than a decision be made about the presenter for X, Y, and Z reasons, I genuinely believe, because it caused such a... It caused so many headaches because I left an evening show on a rival station that needed that needed to suddenly be sorted so i don't think they would have done it if they hadn't thought these three are right and and i think credit to global in a way for for just for giving the right for, for giving sort of the right people the right job at the right time it's that kind of thing where i might not have been right two years before i joined at just the right time And for all the right reasons, I feel it caused actually the the office quite quite a nightmare to sort out who was going to do my show and what was going on. So, yeah, it was a bit of a mad one.
0: But you're so good at what you do on social media that in the past year that we've had COVID and there's been a lot of politics in the news, being able to talk to a young audience who might not necessarily look at the news, but you wouldn't be able to avoid it from yourselves because you know what's going on but yet you've got to stay positive you had to find that balance and I think the three of you together have just really managed even through your morning puns just to cut through the negative news but also speak to the audience as if you've not dismissed it completely
2: yeah and honestly it was a it was really hard at the start because a we're all trying to find our feet as a three and work out our roles and you know they're learning my sense of humor because that's the other thing you you go into a group and you, you forget that they have to I forgot the lad didn't know me that well. So at the beginning, because I'm really someone that's never offended, I'm one of the boys, and they have to learn pretty quick that, like, oh, I can say this in front of Sean and she won't be offended. And, you know, we, we were all trying to bond. And at the same time, we were trying to do something really difficult on air, where, like you say, it was Capital's not a news station. We've got to stay upbeat and fun, but we can't ignore the news that's going on and we can't pretend it's not happening. And don't get me wrong, we won't have always got it right. And it was so hard because, you know, there were times where we just wanted to say something positive, like, oh, you know, shout out to all all the nurses and and, uh, we might have said nurses. And then we'd get texts from people saying, well, I'm a frontline worker. I work in the supplies department or I work in this department. And suddenly, without knowing it, by doing what we thought was a positive shout out, because we'd excluded a certain group who also felt they were doing their bit, it almost offended some people. So it was such a balance to, you know, also things like not wanting to patronise and say, you know, remember to wear your masks and wash your hands. But at the same time, it was part of our duty that we have to say things like that on air and find a fun way of doing it. I mean, we did find our feet with it and we avoided, there's times in the news where the tensions get high and and on those days we'd, we'd maybe not mention it as much. And on days where it was a bit more, generic with how people felt towards it we'd probably bring it up again but quite often it's been such a divisive topic where maybe 50 percent of the country think one way and the other half think the other we were always at risk if we mentioned coronavirus or or lockdown that we would upset someone and, and it's been it's been a minefield honestly
0: and then a couple of months into the job your producer Joe took his life, and a couple of weeks ago, Roman Kemp did a documentary on BBC One about it. To, to open it, I don't want to talk necessarily about your relationship with Joe because I don't think that's fair, but I want to just talk about the mental health side of communicating that to your audience. Again, we're speaking about how your audience, you're having to be upbeat all the time, but you had gone into work and you were still working, yet you had behind the scenes this sadness, and yet on air you were supposed to be presenting this happiness
2: honestly it was the most surreal day and nothing can prepare yourself for things like that and because we were in the middle of a show and we were, we didn't know what was going on and we had to just get through the show and at this point we didn't really know what was happening and then it was only after the show that we suddenly oh no if I Actually, maybe we went off at nine. I can't actually remember now. It's such a blur. Maybe we found out what happened at sort of nine in the morning. And obviously we couldn't. Wouldn't you know something's happened to someone so close to you, there's no way we could have continued the show. So, yeah, if I remember rightly, we came off air at 9 a.m. We'd normally go till 10. And um, we were just all reeling, you know, reeling in shock. And, and we didn't go back in for a week after that. Because it was just too too raw, you know. He was a producer of our show, so we're talking about literally a member of the family, and so it was. uh Oh, it was just it was one of the worst days of my life.
0: But and in capital, you've got such an amazing family there as well that it obviously would have brought you all together. How's the mental health discussions changed since then? When something is so close to home.
2: I think we've all just become a bit more aware of looking out for each other and, and not presuming that someone's okay just because they're, they're strong or seem happy and upbeat. And I think we've all been a bit better at saying, are oh, you all right, mate? Or, you know, walk, making the effort to maybe rather than just go straight home, walking home with somebody it, or like, you know, doing a bit of a journey rather than go on the first tube home, walking a few stops, just to, just debrief and have a chat and check we're all okay. And, I definitely send more texts just to sort of check in on people and and also I'm more wary if someone has seemed a bit off just to double-check that they are all right. And uh, Roman says something and he told us, I mean, obviously it'll be in his documentary, but he told us at the time when he'd gone and met some people that dealt with similar situations and young young lads and they they brought in this system of always asking if their mates are okay twice because it's hard to to... If someone says, oh, you're all right, your instincts go, yeah, 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 fine. But if someone goes, are you sure you're okay? That tends to be the time that you open up. But if you only ask somebody once, they'll probably just give you a generic, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that really stuck with me to like, ask someone twice if they're okay. And I think that's a really good sort of way to, I don't know, to easily think. Because also, you know, Romans learned a lot about about mental health in the last few months and and he was saying that quite often the narrative is to be like on on the person suffering saying you know talk and open up and actually for the person suffering that is the hardest thing to do so it's to shift the onus on the friends or the family to be the ones pushing for that chat if you know what I mean rather than waiting for someone to open up to almost try and get in there and I think i think we've all learned a lot from it and you just think it's it's mad it's it's a mad world we live in and, and people are suffering and struggling and i think there's a lot of pressures in the modern day world that we're just not equipped to deal with
0: a hundred percent and those boys that you refer to the how are you's they were so amazing but they'd had that group sense of understanding now of how they have to ask it twice because it's very easy when someone like you said says, how are you? You go, yeah, good, yeah, yeah, good. No, and I I did this. When I watched the documentary, I messaged a friend and I said, how are you? And they said, yeah, I'm good. And I'm like, but I know you're not good. And I asked it again. And it was purely because that documentary I spent all evening just talking to various people after watching it and just asking how people were. And you just notice as well how, as much as we say how communicative we are and how we check on other people, we actually really don't as well.
2: No, because part of you thinks, oh, they're in the group chat, so they were listening, or, oh, they, they liked my Instagram, they must be okay, and a lot of it is a bit like that, isn't it? Like, you presume you've checked in on someone because you've seen that they've been online on WhatsApp or or they've sent a meme in the group, but actually, that's nothing, it doesn't mean anything.
0: A hundred percent, hundred percent. So, Sean, that takes us now to current times, 2021. The future of you, Capital FM Breakfast Show, you're still waking up at a ridiculous hour, But amazing because if you've ever worked in London, when it's three o'clock in the morning, in the winter it's horrific and it's all dark and just gone. But in the summer it's amazing when everything lights up before you get into work and you're waking up with the world. What's the future got for you?
2: Oh, who knows? I always think that in this business that we work in, (laughs) in any sort of entertainment, you can't even make... Forget making a five-year plan. You can't make a plan for next week because everything changes. And I never, in a million years, would be thinking now. You know, like, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd never be thinking I'd be chatting to you now about being on Capital Breakfast. Sometimes these things fly in from nowhere and they they pull the rug from you and you don't see it coming. And I, I hope, I hope that just you know, I I, I carry on being able to do the job i love and the hope hopefully doing some extra bits um you know as on top of that and and you know hopefully continue to i think i put a, a bit of pressure on myself to be a bit of a role model and i try not to do things that i don't think you know I, you know i hope i can carry on doing jobs and doing shows that are just positive and they give off good energy and they perhaps inspire someone to get into the industry and And that I try and be a good role model, really, because it is hard. And I don't think I think there's a lot of pressure on young people at the moment and and a lot of pressure at the moment to be to look a certain way and do a certain thing. And I hope that I fly a flag for normal, just normal people, you know, like you don't have to be a a model and, a, you know, six foot tall and stick thin and whatever. You know, I'm a very normal girl. And and, um, I hope that um people you know people can relate and they see me as a friend and and someone that they will you know grow up with or you know i will hopefully will venture into tv and and do other bits and bobs and continue to bring people along with me along the journey but as i say who knows you could do this interview with me in a year's time and i'm a butcher
0: John will be there. You can listen to her on the Capital FM Breakfast Show every single morning, Monday to Friday. Oh, I absolutely loved her. I've been following her career for so long and I've been dying to talk to her for so long. And I'm so glad she's given me the chance to speak to her. You've been listening to Security and Secure with me, Johnny Seifert. If you like what you heard, please go and rate the podcast, follow it and leave a review. That's right. Go on to Apple iTunes, go all the way down, click five stars and then leave a review. Also make sure you click follow. Yes, we're not saying subscribe anymore, we're saying follow. And if you're listening on Spotify, I hope you're following already. Thank you so much for listening. I'm on Instagram at Johnny Seifer and secure the insecure podcast with all the old episodes. And until next time, I'll speak to you soon. Bye.